0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno Podcast. I'm your host, Shane McNeely. Just to let you know, Crazy Face Uno is inspiring others to do good, to make a difference in our local and global community. And I want to introduce my guest today. He topped the charts in the last 30 days of our podcast. Number one in your hearts, number one in your ears. Tony Wiltsy!
1: What's up, man? I've noticed that whenever you do those intros, you always stare at the host in front of you. I do. And I always wonder how people feel, like especially if they don't know you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. feel
0: like
1: you don't break eye contact. No, I just like, stare. That's like,
0: mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. Props. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably something I do. Tony, welcome back, man. All the way from hey, Indianapolis. Phoenix. No, just kidding. Lafayette, Indiana. Yep. Home of the Purdue Boilermakers.
1: That's right. It's called uh, Star City. Ooh. I don't know why it's called Star City, but it's called Star City.
0: Well, we're going to make you a star today, Tony.
1: Oh, thanks. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> excited about that.
0: So, uh, Tony, we are Skyping. Uh, There isn't going to be any video for this. I haven't been posting the videos lately, if you haven't noticed, on YouTube. All right,
1: that makes me feel good.
0: Yeah. Um, However, you're going to get his beautiful voice across the microphone. Dude, legitimately, you have been, in the last 30 days, you have been my number one podcast on Podbean or like throughout those different um, hosting platforms. I don't know. I haven't added in, so from the website and... Like SoundCloud is pulled from the website and that stuff, but yeah, seventy-one listens.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah. To me. Hopefully, this one gets more. I and know that will be good for you.
0: Well, hey, whatever. I'm just happy you're here. I'm happy to be talking to you. So.
1: Yeah, likewise.
0: Dude, we had um, we kind of talked about a few different things you wanted to kind of get into today, um, and I'm pretty excited about this conversation. The one that keeps coming up, the one we've talked about a lot, or the one that you've, I think, been most interested in talking about has been um, just transitions in general, I think. But most importantly, your transition from teaching. And maybe just some of your teaching experience and and kind of what that process was like. So I didn't do an intro for you, so maybe kind of explain... um, what you were doing you were a teacher is that correct
1: oh yeah i was um <laughs> yeah okay, so um if you go back to um
0: uh, episode number blah blah Philip blah
1: Blank, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> one bethel of the boys bethel boys series, series I'm trying to yeah. Plug your podcast in. yeah
0: absolutely man uh,
1: yeah if you give that a few listens you might get Shane a few bucks or something eventually. That's possible. And, uh, Anyways, yeah, we talked a little bit about it, I think. Uh, well, as far as just kind of my background. So, real quick, like Shane and I studied...
0: Uh, adolescent uh, studies and yeah, th- youth ministry.
1: We studied youth ministry, adolescent studies at Bethel College. That's not right. Now Bethel University, right? Correct. And so... Uh, that was I how we met? Basically... Yeah, got a, uh, it was a teaching job at the Crossing Educational Center. It's an alternative school um, shortly after graduating, like six months. And uh, I eventually, I worked there for three and a half years. And then during that time, I did a transition to teaching program. And I got certified as a secondary Spanish teacher. So okay. I eventually got a, a Spanish teaching position. So yeah, I was teaching high school Spanish. For um, for four and a half years, I think that's right.
0: Yeah, and the part uh, of your education that you didn't mention is that you are a Spanish minor. Yes. Correct, and you spent a semester abroad in the Dominican Republic.
1: Yep. Yeah, that was probably one of one of the top like most uh, one of the top events of my life that has like changed my life. The most, I yeah. would
0: say. That's really cool. So let's yeah. even go back a little further. Um, yeah. You've told us, you know, that you were a Spanish teacher at a high school mm-hmm. um, in yeah, Indiana.
1: It's, a, it's a, a small, it was a K-12 school, all cool. in one building. Really small town, like uh, 1,300 people, which the high school I went to was like, when I went there, it was like thirty two hundred people. Yeah, so but you went like, to
0: one of the most gigantic high schools, probably one of the biggest high schools in the nation. Like, it's got to be up there.
1: Yeah, and I, it's gotten Penn bigger I think since I've been there. So, it, so anyways, like it, it was just wild to that I, somehow I ended up yeah. in a very small town, like rural. Yeah, you know, culture that I didn't grow up in that. Um, I did live out in the country in the Dominican Republic. Sure. Uh, when I was little for like six or eight weeks. So that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, what has been I your.
0: Taste of- I know I've heard your story. Um, But what was your. What would you. Would you be willing to tell our listeners uh, what your draw or like what was your. What was your interest in learning Spanish and kind of your um your interest in in this field in a sense. I know it, it kind of goes back a little a little bit. Um and I think it's an interesting story. Kind of maybe to lead up to maybe the rest of your Spanish speaking teaching uh, life.
1: Yeah. Um I think there's a lot to that. Uh, I talked about from my memory. I think we talked about it some on the last episode, so you should check out um, the Crazy Face Uno episode, Fill in the Blank
0: uh, <laughs> one of the Bethel Boys edit, series. You can
1: edit that in and yeah. you can voice over it. You know what I'm saying? I, um,
0: I could. I don't yeah, know how to do that, that, actually, so I'm not going to do that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but actually, I, to speak to that, I, one it's correct I'm not lying I actually I could figure it out I could figure out how to edit it's obviously I know the concept and know how to do it uh, but something I actually kind of pride myself on in some ways is the podcast is pretty raw um, it just is what it is and I don't I'm not gonna cut things out um, you're gonna get the truth you're just gonna get the um, the whole deal and I say that. And I also, this the intro was take two, so I did mess up the intro the first time. So if I screw it up in the beginning, I might as well start strong, right? So, uh, full disclosure, my intro with Tony, the one that you heard, was take two.
1: <laughs> I think that's cool, man. I think people like that. You know, it, I think it, I feel like it's you're going for authenticity and yeah. That's, I feel like that's what people like. I think that's why podcasts are so cool, because it's like, right. especially if you are listening to someone who's quote unquote famous, you know, or, you know, you admire them and, you know, they're a famous person. It's like, it just sounds like you're like hanging out in their living room and yeah, it's like you get to know them like personally, but at the same time, you know, you don't really know them at all. Yeah. It's very interesting to me. That's Absolutely. why I love podcasts.
0: Yeah, me too. Absolutely. For one of the reasons. All right, so man, this has been the longest intro into the life of Tony Wilty ever. Okay. But
1: yeah, I can do a more succinct, more. No, it's fine. I
0: keep jumping in and cutting you off, so it's all good. Yeah, tell us your tell us your background here. Okay, so yeah, where was I at? Um, okay,
1: so teaching right at a it was a really small school. Um, when I started, okay, so I started. And I was still doing my transition to teaching program, um, and okay, thanks. And uh, so, anyways, I I was the only Spanish teacher, and I had like a hundred and plus kids and teaching all different levels, all the levels of Spanish. So, anyways, it was a lot. Yeah. Um, and we eventually we were able to build up the program, and we got a second teacher, and it was really like, established a good foundation. So I was really happy for all that we did in the, you know, four and a half years that I was sure. there. Um,
0: so you were there for four and a half years. Go ahead and go all the way back. Um, your first introduction to Spanish. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean, I I took my first Spanish class was – In eighth grade, the first language that I studied was German. We had to take a semester of German and a semester of Spanish. I took German first, and I loved it. The teacher was amazing. Um, He would go around and just talk to you all in German and mess with you, like joke around, jump up on the table and sing songs. And I just thought it was so amazing, like, what he did. Now that I've taught languages it's i mean he was a really good teacher yeah so he turned me on i guess to learning languages and i was all about german i was like oh everyone should learn german and then i took spanish and i was all about spanish yeah and i learned you know oh like a lot of people around here on the u.s speak spanish a lot more than german yeah. and so it just makes sense to take spanish because you know, there's a lot more opportunities and you could use it a lot more. So, so eighth grade was the first time that I took Spanish. And then I took three and a half years throughout high school. I dropped it second semester Spanish four, partly because I didn't take it that seriously. I, yeah. I always liked it and I had fun, but I blew it off a little bit. I mean, I got good grades, Yeah. Um, but I just didn't have vision of like, oh, this is how I could use it in my life. Sure. Uh, this is what it could look like in my life. It was just, I was just trying to get a specific type of a degree. So right. in college, I went to Puerto Rico for a week with Derek Griffey and Jordan Walter. And yeah. that like, uh, reignited my, my love for the language and for the people. And then that next year was when I, I went to Dominican Republic.
0: Yeah. Um, when did you declare Spanish as a minor? Was that right out of the gates?
1: Good question. I think so. I think that was my. I point. feel like
0: it was, yeah. Or, but I couldn't. I couldn't remember. I feel like there was something. Maybe once you decided to go to the DR, because by going to the DR, you got like a bunch of credits, Spanish credits.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. Um, and and it like made it, made it made it really Bethel. easy for you to get a minor.
1: Yeah, I think for a minor, minor at Bethel, or at least. For a Spanish minor, it was like eighteen credits, and so yeah, I would have gotten. I took one class before I went, and then I got the majority. I took only a couple, a few classes afterwards, and that got me the minor. So
0: nice, nice. Uh, what was your college experience like? Tell us, tell us about that. Let's hear about Puerto Rico um, and. Let's start with Puerto Rico because that was first, right? That was before, the DR.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yep. let's hear about that. What was your What were you doing? What was your experience? What Was that Yeah. Like? So
1: Jordan Walter, uh, he was in Oakwood, our freshman dorm, yeah. and uh, he spent I think a year, a year and a half after high school, in between college, in Puerto Rico, and he lived with. Um, uh, pastors there, okay, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what he did, but I know that he did work with like a church in kainito uh, It's like a kind of small town, small city. That's a um, cool name, South of the capital.
0: I like that name, Caimito.
1: Caimito, yeah.
0: Caimito. yeah. I like that. That's cool.
1: Mhm. Yeah. So that I had had, I had had several. I had, had a lot of, so I grew up like middle class, I would say, upper middle class, middle class. And so, you know, I, all, I never like lacked in anything like physical-wise, uh, like things growing up, you know, and I had more than, way more than enough. Um, and so, but like throughout high school, Throughout college, I'd, I started going on trips and having these experiences and meeting just meeting people yeah that all grew up a lot different than me, and especially people who had a lot less than I had growing up. And that really opened up my eyes. Um, and I think through reading a lot, studying a lot, um, you know, I think there's a lot of power in meeting people who come from different backgrounds and getting to know them and, in, in like uh, m- forming bridges like, yeah. with our similarities, but also like learning from each other's differences. 100%. You know?
0: I think, it, yeah. man, I, that's really important to me too. And I think it's really, I mean, it's an underlying, like not focus, but an underlying like component to, um, the Crazy Face Uno, just like its existence, you know? I think that it's really important to understand people. Um, this podcast has really turned into storytelling. Um, you know, your wife Maria and and you and me and little baby Esperanza, we all were talking and, um, you know, that was one of the things that really came out in our conversation is storytelling. It's just, it's huge. It's really it's really the the biggest component of the podcast is uh, for obvious reasons, but also like I'm just genuinely interested in people's story, you know, um, as well as the aspect of um, that you mentioned like our differences and understanding one another and understanding where we came from, understanding what makes us tick, understanding uh, what's important to us and why we do the things that we do. It's, it's just part of the way my brain works. Like I just really enjoy like learning about people. And um, so, yeah, I I think it's really, I want to highlight that because I think it's really important that we all have differences. And I think that that's beautiful. I think that it's important for us to understand and to know, especially in today's day and age, like I don't want to be the same as you. I don't want to be the same as the people around me. I want to be different, I want to be unique, and I think that that's cool, and I think that that's special, and I think that that's awesome, um, and I think it's really important that in today's society, especially, that we celebrate everyone's differences.
1: Um, yeah, I feel like we live in, you know, it's, I've heard it described, the term used uh, cancel culture, you know, it's like, oh, you are a Christian, so yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Exactly. Or you are a yeah. democrat, like I'm done with you, yeah. or you are a fill in the blank, yeah. you know. But I, I, or, or I you are different than me, like period. just in yeah. general.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> you run into somebody every single day that that does that. And and I'm guilty of it. You know, like I have to check myself too. You I know, know there are there are there are friends of ours. There are people that we that we know and love and care about, um, that have very different views on life than us. And that's okay. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to condone the things that you do, but it doesn't mean that I have to cut you out of my life. And I think that that's really something that um, is important to state and important to talk about. Because just because somebody has a different view than you just because somebody is different than you um doesn't mean that you can't be friends that you can't associate yourself with that person we're in a really sticky place in today's day and age of man there's some there's just some divisive things that go on politically and and just socio like societal wise um that we like don't have redemption for these things that we disagree with yes their value their character they're like fundamental to who we are as human beings um, in some cases and i get that but my take is that it's really important for us to have conversations and to talk and to be um, just a love. I mean, honestly, that's it. I mean, in some ways, it's as simple as like, hey, I don't agree with you, but I love you, you know, and that's okay. And it doesn't change the fact that I can't, it doesn't mean that I can't be your friend because I don't agree fundamentally or the values that you have. Like, that's not the case. Like, it's it's really not. And how do we see change happen if we don't continue to love and breathe into people and we don't see people's differences and try to understand them and understand their perspective. You don't have to agree with it, but it's important to understand people's perspectives. Yep. I, I just really, sorry that I'm, I'm on my soapbox now. Uh, no, but I mean, I like, think
1: what you said about stories and storytelling, uh, I mean that, that's why, well, that's why I've listened to your podcast or that's why I like your podcast because Thanks. you pick one person usually, you know, per episode and you just you get to hear their story. So yeah. for me, like people's stories and obviously the people behind those stories have totally changed my life. I mean yeah, ever since the beginning, but that's I mean I can I can just go back to different uh you know, I can go back to Puerto Rico, I can go back to Dominican Republic, yeah. uh, going to Chicago, going to New York, whatever, going wherever in home in my hometown and remembering people's faces and their names Absolutely. and them telling things, uh, you know, sharing their mm-hmm. life with me and me sharing my life with them. And it's just, there's something very powerful there. And it's, I think it's transformative. And, and the cool thing is, you know, that's been going on since the beginning of time. Oh, yeah. Um, it really has. Nothing's wild to think about that.
0: We, we like the way we handle things, the way we view things, the way we like process things and talk about things has changed. But man, life just continues to go on, <laughs> you know. And uh, I don't know. I, I really think that our differences need to be celebrated and is important. There was, I don't remember which one it was. Um, but there was an airport that Dana and I flew in and out of on our honeymoon, and coming off of the, uh, out of the, I don't know what's the little, the little jetway or the what's it called?
1: The tarmac.
0: Tarmac, the little like thing, and you come around the corner and there's this big wall, and it was basically I think it said like celebrate your differences or something like that. It was basically like where I was just a, a wall full of, like, pictures of different people, of different ethnicities, of different groups of people. I just – I think it was, like, spot on. It was perfect. It was beautiful. It was, like, 100% what I believe in and and stand for. And um, I just think being unique is cool. That personally – like, I don't want to go with the status quo. And I actually have to check myself sometimes <laughs> to just not go against the grain, just to go against the grain, like – um, yep. you know Dana will call me out on it and be like you just don't like that because that's what everybody else likes and sometimes it's true and like once I start playing that game or watching that show or whatever I'm like yeah it's good okay I like it <laughs> you know like there's like been tv shows that I'm like no I'm not gonna watch that because everybody thinks it's great and then I'm start watching it and I'm like yeah it's great it's awesome like why did I like wait so long to do that you know that was You're like, so I stupid. just
1: took uh, the whole week, and uh, yeah, I watched all the seasons. Yeah, it's great. yeah.
0: <laughs> I still can't get behind uh, the Office, though, and I know that I get, I get, I get slapped across the face every time by people. Hey, yeah,
1: there's hope. My sister, and well, my sister was resistant towards it, and I don't <laughs> know if my brother was resistant, but I don't think he was ever into it. And both of them have gotten into it in the last few years. And I mean, she watches it like, yeah, like every day. So, anyways, it's nice to be able to drop some uh, office references. I know, with I their... know,
0: I know. Everybody gives good, me a hard time. T- I try. I have, I've, I have tried. I can't say that I haven't tried. I, I probably could give it a little bit more of a try, but like, <laughs> I have tried. Anyway, let's get back to your life story and off of my Spires. soapbox. But yeah, just talking about storytelling and and learning different about different people and you're kind of talking about Puerto Rico and kind of seeing those different things and nothing in particular. Uh, but coming back from Puerto Rico, obviously that had an impact on you. Do you remember what that was or like what that, what that really, was it just the storytelling or kind of like learning about people in a different culture or what was that, what was that experience?
1: Yeah. I think it was all of that. I think it was, uh, I mean, Kaimito, you know, was a pretty, uh, poor community, mm-hmm. and so, um, meeting people that physically had very, very little, mm-hmm. um, compared it compared to, like, what I had, or what I grew up in, um, but, and, you know, obviously this isn't across the board, but a lot of the people I met, um, you know, there just seemed to be some some joy of, like, life and living life that yeah, I was like, wow, I, I want to have that. And I, sure like, it just made me think obviously a lot about myself and my yeah. life. and
0: um, That's the thing. I mean, there are a lot of culture. I mean, we could talk to, if you go back and listen to, you know, different conversations from, man, I think all of the Bethel boys, I might be the only one that didn't do a, like, semester abroad somewhere actually of uh, yeah. uh, the Beth boy the- which is fine i mean maybe that makes sense but uh
1: yeah i guess you did your summers right you did always, summers in different places yeah
0: different places for sure i mean i traveled i went i went to haiti several times i went to nothing like studying abroad necessarily you know yeah uh for that extended period of time i guess um But yeah, anyway, I just realized that. But yeah, if you talk to all of those guys and and all of those different places, I mean, from Tyler and Calvin to their different, you know, experiences, cultural experiences in different places, to Sam, uh, to his experience in Uganda, to uh, Derek and you. I mean, did Derek... I mean, Derek did the Puerto Rico. So maybe Derek didn't do a... I'm not sure if he did a semester abroad or not.
1: Yeah, I don't think he did.
0: Um, But... Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think that it's an interesting thing. Like, I I can relate to that in some ways of my experience in Haiti uh, after I graduated. And, yeah, I mean, it's a more, they have a lot of things that are different than the United States. and, And some of that is just our wealth and what we have. But it doesn't change happiness necessarily, right? It just looks different. And you learn to be happy. I think something I'm learning as I get a little bit older and um, as I keep challenging myself on what it means to be happy and um, content with my life in some ways is my perspective just on life in general, you know, and my perspective. You can can wallow in your, like, sorrow and the things. And maybe that's what it is about America, that we see – we see so much greatness and we see so many like affluent people and things and people are doing things constantly that we forget that we're in charge of our destiny and that we're in charge of our perspective on how those things go. You know, Um, glass half full versus glass half empty kind of concept in some ways. But I think perspective is key. I think it's really huge. Uh, You can look at a lot of different things, and take it as a negative, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a negative, you know? Um, and so it just depends on how what lens you look at your situation or your life through. It's easier said than done, but it's kind of a fact of the matter, you know? I mean, it takes practice. It takes mental strength and mental toughness to really, like, persevere and to constantly check yourself and to... to trust those like feelings or toss them out you know
1: uh-huh. but, it's definitely a practice yeah like you said yeah you have to do it regularly
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. so then let's fast forward to the dr which was what year of yours
1: that the was my year? second year of college
0: so sophomore year of college you went to the dr uh you went with did you go with margie
1: no, I uh no, I think but she But Margie went did a DR the next to... year or she went sometime after yeah. cuz uh our group we were the first group to go from
0: Bethel. Okay. Uh for that
1: semester abroad with that program. Okay.
0: Yeah, cuz it was really cool. If you're listening, Margie Dill, uh, Margie uh, Ewald is she was a podcast that we did. I did with her when I was passing through Chicago. Uh, she also did a trip to the Dominican Republic as well, and uh, I know that she had mentioned you in that podcast and, and going to the DR, but I think maybe it was just because she had listened to your podcast or knew you'd been on here, was one of the Bethel Boy series uh, people, so, uh, but anyway, yeah, to the DR, what was, what was, you said you lived in rural Dominican Republic?
1: Yeah, for five weeks, we, or, yeah, all of us from the group, we lived in Harabacoa. It's a um, smaller city getting up towards the mountains, like inland in okay. the Dominican Republic. Um, so it's, the capital is east, uh, like southeastern, it's on the coast. It's right on the ocean or the Caribbean. Um, but Harabakoa is a lot different because it's getting towards the mountains. It's cooler. Sure. Um, it's cooler at night. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more, like, there's several rivers that run through it. So the, I mean, the nature is just, it, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Um, so we I lived uh, five weeks with one family in town. Okay. Um, every single day for, like, three hours a day, we took Spanish classes. Okay. Uh, during the week, and then we took a week and traveled the country. We went to the Haitian border, uh, west of the, on the west side of the country. Yeah, we went through mainland and all the way to uh, the capital. And uh, yeah, if you're listening, class, so
0: Dominican Republic and Haiti um, are two countries on the same. Uh, space of land i don't know what you would necessarily island. call yeah, it I- island yeah so Hades on the western uh side which is almost like a it's like a hand that makes a sea in some ways um and then the dr is on the other side on the east side uh, and so they border each other got a long history uh, between the two but uh yeah so just so you know it's part of the in the caribbean um, in those That little area there But DR, I know Tony, you You ended up getting really sick While you were there as well Is that correct? Yeah You got Is it dengue fever? I, is that what you got?
1: No, I got I think some type of like uh, Virus Okay So I was basically Shitting out of my ass And uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there man <laughs>
1: Which I think is normally Dude. how that happens. But, when I was in uh, Haiti, I did the same thing. <laughs>
0: oh, so bad. I guess
1: it's, um, everyone, yeah. everybody It's poops. a
0: common experience, right?
1: <laughs> like the book says, everybody poops. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, throwing up. Oof, and so, yeah. yeah, I was very dehydrated. I think I was the first person to get sick out of our group. Mm. And it was maybe the first week or two. Yeah. I was really dehydrated. I remember being at my host family's house. And you know it was hot during the day. because yeah. We're there, August, September, yeah. whenever that was in the beginning. And she was in that was at the <laughs> beginning of like uh, Spanish language abilities, yeah. and so she's talking to me, and I I felt like I was you know on something. Like, <laughs> just I mean, like dizzy and confused, like and... seeing things, but I was like in another yeah. world, um, and I just couldn't understand her, and I was like. Uh, (laughs) And so so eventually, you know, they took me to the clinic.
0: and um, Even before you got to the clinic, though, this was something that Margie talked about, being with her host family. And she's like, there's nothing you can do. It's like thin walls. Everybody uses the bathroom. It's like you're just going for it. Everybody knew when you had a rough night. Everybody Um, knew when you had... (laughs) Like... uh, like you were, it's a whole nother, like, closeness that you didn't necessarily want to have.
1: Well, yeah, and I'm trying to think how many people lived in the house. I, I want to say it was maybe two bedrooms. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty small, and I've. Th- well, maybe three bedrooms, and uh, I don't know, there's maybe eight people in the house. Yeah. Something like that, so. Yeah, but my my Dominican, both, I lived with two different families and they were just amazing. They're amazing people. And uh, my my wife, Maria, my wife, um, she is Dominican. She's Dominican American. And so uh, we actually, when we were just friends, like just just getting to know each other. um,
0: And just so everybody knows, you guys met in uh, the States. Uh, you guys didn't yeah. meet in We met in
1: Frankfort, Indiana.
0: Frankfort, Indiana. Indiana. Small world.
1: Yeah, small town. Yeah. And, which actually has, it's, I don't know, maybe 50% Latino. Really? Hispanic. Cool. Yeah, it has which, a huge Hispanic population. Indiana
0: has a very, just in general, has a very large like Hispanic population. Uh, yeah. A lot of
1: small towns, because yeah. I think uh, like migrant workers have
0: yeah, exactly. on there,
1: mm-hmm. and and obviously in the bigger in the cities too. Um, but yeah, sure. we, she was she was the first Dominican who I had met in the states since my since 2007. And, yeah, you know, so that had been however many years. I think it right. was 2016 that we met. So nine years and. That she was the first Dominican. So with with that to say, there are very few Dominicans in Indiana, especially, like, outside of Indianapolis.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And so I think there are maybe a couple in Frankfurt. Sure. Um, and so it's just wild. Uh, you know, maybe 15 minutes within me. When I first saw her, I was like, I think she's Dominican. And then about 15 minutes within meeting her first and talking with her realized that she was from Santiago which is about 45 minutes from Jarabacoa, which sure. is where I spent most of the time and I we spent time in Santiago so yeah that's um, cool it was just a kind of wild connection
0: yeah what when, when you were in the DR the first time so when you guys when you went there for your semester abroad trip um you obviously you had a host family. What would you how would you like rate your Spanish speaking skills um within like the first half of your trip at least?
1: First half. So first half
0: I mean you had um, you had some you came in to you, you went to the DR with a few with you could speak a little bit.
1: Yeah, I could speak okay. I could listen to conversations and pick out some things. Yeah. I could maybe if I understood okay, I could maybe respond short sentences, maybe from my memory. Sure. Uh, my roommate from that from Bethel was David Preeb, and right. he had literally like zero Spanish <laughs> language skills. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so he was funny because He's just goofy. Well, like me, he's yeah, just goofy in
0: general. Um,
1: but he just like he just had no idea what he was doing with the language, and yeah, you know, I think he kind of embraced that and was just like, okay, here we uh, go. And, you know, <laughs> I think really used humor a lot to just connect with people because it'd be like, I don't, I literally <laughs> have like twenty words. <laughs> so i would help him out i mean i I guess my language skills were good enough to kind of help him out uh even from the beginning so but i mean you just i i just quickly quickly grew and uh, i mean five weeks into it once we did that week of travel around the country i mean i remember like meeting people and talking with them yeah You know, understanding pretty well. And then by the time I was out in the country for eight weeks, you know, I felt like I could sit down with people and have like an hour conversation and, you know, felt like I understood it really well.
0: Uh, So what would you say was on this trip, what would you say was the highlight of your trip? If there was one thing you could like highlight and be like, this was the one thing that I took away from this trip or the one thing that I, I loved about this trip.
1: Yeah, it, it was the people, it was the host families, particularly the second host family out in the country, okay. um, and so when my wife and I got married, we went on our honeymoon to Dominican Republic, and we actually, I had not been back in like nine years, I think yeah. it was, and uh, we actually hiked out to Los Higos, the small town yeah. that I stayed there, and we got together with. With my family that's so um, cool which was really really amazing and it was it was really powerful because i i just remember sitting down with them and my dad dominican dad uh jesus he was he would say uh when i was when we were there he would go he like he spoke some english and he would practice his english yeah and he was really funny and he would go hello my name is Jesus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's so funny. He, he was a
1: funny guy. Yeah. But, anyways, he asked me, he asked me, he said something like, um, I told him that, you know, I teach Spanish now and um, how that was going. He's like, why did you want to get into teaching Spanish? And I was like, you all, like right here. Yeah. Like, this is why. I got into teaching Spanish. Like you have changed my life, yeah. And they, I don't think they really knew that slash so had made that connection. Sure. And they then went on to share how how much me and David Prieb, staying with them changed their lives.
0: Yeah. Um. That's so cool. And
1: it was it was just fascinating. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was very powerful. Well, plus like your
0: a, ability to speak Spanish now is. Is like exponentially grown, you know, since you were there, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure that was helpful too, just being able to speak more clearly and fluently with them.
1: Yeah, and that's what they would say, and that's when I, if I ever like uh, chat online uh, sure. through like Messenger or whatever uh, with any other friends from Dominican Republic. Uh, from that trip they'll a lot of times they'll say, Oh wow, your Spanish is really good like Yeah. I'm like, oh thanks. Like I've yeah. been practicing for the last <laughs> seventeen years
0: or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So outside of being sick when you were in the DR, what would you say was the hardest part about your trip? Like the most difficult?
1: <gasps> That's a good question. The first thing that comes to mind—I don't think this was like this. Maybe isn't the the most hardest thing, but first thing that came to mind was when we traveled the country for that week. Um, we went and stayed at an all-inclusive resort, okay. and they did that intentionally so that because we had been living with normal Dominican quote, yeah. quote normal Dominican people. Uh, for five weeks, so we were just—it was a, like a lifestyle for us. And sure. So we went. They—they they made us. They forced us. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, they—they they had us go and stay at an all-inclusive resort, which is super nice. It was yeah. Really nice. We couldn't drink because we went to Bethel, Bethel. which was. A, at looking back on it now, I'm like, that's a shame. Uh, <laughs>
0: As we but, both finished our beers that we were drinking before we started. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but anyways, I think they did it so that we could see like the tourist culture and the tourist sure. life compared to kind of your, your everyday Dominican life. Yeah. And it was, I did, I had a very difficult time enjoying it. I did not feel like on that time that I could really enjoy it because yeah. I was just like, this is not... Dominican Republic, and so yeah. many people are coming, are going there, and that's their only experience, yeah. and I'm like, you're There's not, so much more you're too. missing out, like, this is just a fake, like, sure, thing, and,
0: uh, how has your perspective yeah. changed, or has it changed?
1: Um, I think in general, my perspective has changed, and this is, uh, you know, again, I'm speaking from, like, a middle class perspective, yeah. but, I think I just see, I, well, and it's, I think because of having some, like, faith changes, you know, sure. I, I used to, you know, want to want everyone to go to heaven, and so, you know, I want people to accept Jesus,
0: Sure. and yeah.
1: so, uh, and, and I just wanted to, and I still do want to do good, like your podcast says, um, and, uh, you know, and, and create change and whatnot. Uh, but it just looks a lot different than what it used to look. Um, and I know you can relate to that. Yeah, Uh, very much so. And so I think I used to go on some of those trips, like I'd go on mission trips and, go and meet people and whatever and, and it was like oh these people are poor and yeah uh, or they're you know they're not christians so they're lacking in in this faith area and so yeah. they're like missing like i mean i don't think i really thought that like oh i'm better than them but i feel like that's how it can play out yeah and really from a lot of those experiences puerto rico dominican republic uh meeting people people on the streets in South Bend, going to Chicago, New York, all these different yeah. experiences, I've realized like, oh wow, like, we're on the same level, and actually I went in thinking that I was going to give so much to these people, that's right. that is something that I took a lot from Dominican Republic, I went in and there's a big frustration, so maybe this this might be answering your question a little bit there was a big frustration in the beginning, because I was like we went in there and we're like, oh, we want to serve these people, right. help them out, yeah. and we were getting taken care of so well. Like, right, you felt our, almost our host guilty. I'm sure. Were washing our clothes, they're making yeah. every meal for us. Yeah. they're just taking care of us so well. It feels and I weird. Just feel like, yeah, it was, and especially being an American from like right. middle class, we already school, have
0: privilege. Like, privilege. It's a very different mindset. Yeah.
1: You know, like I feel like at, in general Americans, we have difficult time like accepting you know, other people giving us things and offering us things. And, you know, I guess you could say, uh, blessing us, you know? And so I really learned like, and I remember Matt Crouch saying, uh, my friend Matt Crouch saying something about, there's a, there's a Nigerian, he grew up in Nigeria and there's, there's a Nigerian saying, uh, uh, something like the best way to bless someone is by, uh, by allowing them to serve you, something to that effect. Yeah. And I have always, always since that time in Dominican Republic, like I've just tried to embrace that, and I, mm-hmm. I realize the richness in allowing. Obviously, it can't always be like that. You just always allow people to serve you and bless you and give you things, yeah, and whatnot. But I think we miss out a lot because we say oh no i'm fine like no that's okay but yeah. like in dominican republic for example with food if you go over to someone's house you know and someone offers you a drink or food or a gift or something yeah. like that and you deny it, you say no like that's seen as rude and right so you like you always i mean this is at least my experience what i learned you yeah. always accept it because it's like you know these people are offering this thing to you, and that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Like, why would you deny that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the thing I want to kind of like add to that, and in today's society in America, um, we are very privileged. We have a lot of privilege here. Uh, I think that it just it's perspective, right? Um, and this is something that I think I talked about with you and Maria when, when I was there visiting, but, um, something I've really challenged myself is to say thank you more often. And when I see things that I approve of and things I want to, uh, I want to foster a healthy relationship with, uh, that's a weird way of saying that, but just saying thank you, you know. Sometimes it's, the, the thing that just came to my mind was, um, you know, there was, I was in the airport when I came back from Florida um, when I found Dana and I, our apartment that we're living in right now, actually. And they had a really bad storm that morning. There was lightning, so they there were delays already. They blah, 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 blah. Uh, long story short, the lady that was running the, the like counter at the airport for, uh, Delta, I believe it was. And she was killing it. She was on fire. She was doing an amazing job. She had a great attitude. She was handling all the little like bits and pieces that were coming at her. And she was just, she was on top of it. And you know, the simple thing of being like, Hey, you're doing a really great job. You know, like, Hey, you're, you're, you're like kicking some serious ass. Like, I just want to say, thank you. You're doing a great job and just recognizing that people it's, it's a simple way of doing good and making a difference in somebody's life. Um, of just saying thank you or like, Hey, I really appreciate talking to you or like, thank you so much for the, you know, like for the conversation or whatever it is, just saying thank you. Um, and it's a way it, it speaks, I think to similarly to what you're saying. Uh, it can be uncomfortable. I'm the worst at receiving help and asking for help. Um, And sometimes it's just a matter of going, hey, thank you. I really appreciate that, you know, and just accepting it instead of pushing back because pushing back can be more offensive or more. It's just not necessary when you can just go, hey, thank you. And and seeing it through their perspective, again, perspective, right, of somebody wants to do something good for me. Somebody wants to help me. And who is it? Who, who am I to say no? And who am I to deny them if I wanted to do that? And something that you know, I I talk a lot about on the podcast, and and something that Crazy Face, you know, is all about is in, inspiring others to do good and make a difference. And if people are like, no, 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 you know, like it, that would be not offensive in some, but off-putting. I don't know. It would be like a you know, like it wouldn't make me feel that great. So. For me to reciprocate that and just to be, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Like, thank you. And accepting those gifts and accepting those those pieces that people, that service that people want to give. Um, simply from my wife to the person on the street that wants to help me out, you know? So. Yep. Yeah, if you're out there and you're listening, remember, to say thank you to people. Hey, thank you to your servers. Thank you to your waitress, your waiter. Um, thank you to the people that are, Checking you out at the grocery store, or whatever it is, just remember to say thank you. Those like
1: thank you to your housemaid, thank you to your yeah
0: butler. to your thank seriously you. though, like it's like honestly, like it's real that's almost even more. You know, like I have to remember to say I know you're messing around, but like legit, like uh, just saying thank you to to Dana sometimes, being like, hey, thank you so much, I really appreciate that. You know, hey, thanks for doing the dishes today. I really appreciate that. You know, um, and I, I tell Dana and I tell people this all the time. But you want me to do something for you? Tell me you appreciate it. and Tell me thank you. Like I'll bend over backwards if you if you tell me thank you and like, hey, I really appreciate you helping me with that. Like I'll I'll <laughs> I'll do a lot of things for a thank you. You know, like it may, it feels good. <laughs> so, but anyway. So- yeah, so the DR, thanks for thanks for talking about that. Thanks for, you know, voicing that. I, I think that's really important for everyone to understand and hear and um, kind of gives us a little perspective. Coming back, you obviously graduated college, uh, adolescent studies ministry major, uh, Spanish minor. You had already talked about it a little bit. Uh, about six months after graduating, you jumped into your teaching um, at a – what was it called Crossroads? Cross.
1: Yeah, the crossing. Before the crossing. That, I, for a few months, I worked at a uh, um, family and children's center, okay. which was kind of down the street from Bethel, and it was a youth treatment facility. Okay. So, uh, I mean, every every uh, kid had a different story. I mean, some kids lived in a really bad situation at home, and they were taken out of the home from uh, you know by authorities other kids made bad decisions and ended up there um so that was like it was it was a wild experience it was uh one of those deals where you you know there's there's all these different subcultures right and yep you may hear about a certain subculture and maybe know a little bit about it or like well and there's stereotypes of those at
0: least you know or perceptions of those different subgroups of those um
1: yeah yeah well like i had driven past that place so many times but when you actually get into it it's like whoa there's a whole nother world Mm -hmm. that a lot of people do not know about that i had not known about at all um you know i mean we had to physically restrain kids and yeah uh, it was a I learned a lot it was, it, I was I was grateful for the opportunity to work there so yeah I worked there for I don't know it was kind of short maybe four months and then I got a job at the crossing educational center um yeah so that was an alternative school yeah um, and uh, you said you worked kids, there for
0: four and a half years?
1: Uh yeah, I think I was there for three and a half years. I was I was a year and a half in uh, Elkhart, Mishawaka, and South Bend, and then I was I transferred uh, was two years in Frankfurt. So basically, they have campuses all over Indiana. Okay. And uh, but it's kind of the same same school.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And then, what was your experience like teaching?
1: At, at the crossing.
0: At the crossing, yeah.
1: Um, so I the crossing was cool because it was like a combination of I wanted to go. I thought about going into education or youth ministry, and it was like that. Um, yeah. Combination because yeah. uh, it was faith based, and uh, it was very like relational, like focused on getting to know the students and. Meeting them where they're at and uh, talking through life issues, things like yeah. that. But then it was also, I mean, it was an actual, uh, you know, uh, legitimate school. So they're getting their diplomas, they're getting their their education. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and again, talking about stories, I mean, I just uh, fascinating. The, the students lives and where some of the students had come from sure. uh, the current situations that they were living in um, I mean it was across the board some yeah. some kids a bit you know everything. came from boys school, girls school other kids had really bad health problems sure. and so they missed a lot of public school yeah. and they just could keep up and then they would go there uh, mm-hmm. I mean there are kids that like like threatened and like Tried to fight like yeah, you know administrators and sure did, did wild stuff. So um, it it was a very interesting, difficult uh, job. I learned a lot. And um,
0: what would you say are like three things that you learned that you really value from your experience there that are positive?
1: Um. To not write out tonight, to not like write off people. Mm. Um,
0: That's a good one. You know,
1: like with labels. You know, like the the like one of the labels is like uh, like troubled teens, mm-hmm. you know, troubled kids. Which I mean, you could use that label for probably all of the kids that go, students that go to the crossing, um, but yeah i mean that really diminishes
0: it's limiting it's
1: it is it's very limiting and it diminishes each student's story their life um and it is yeah it's limiting and it like uh what's the word well i you know it can be like a self-fulfilling prompt right exactly like yeah you tell someone or they believe you know there's something like oh I'm a troubled teen so yeah you know I can't do this or um, it's gonna be like this for me um, yeah so yeah that, that was a big one um, yeah I, I, again it was, it was a lot of just trying to get to know each student and get to know their story get to provide a space to like hear their story yeah um, and it, it was very difficult because I felt like, I felt like the staff, I felt like the students were placed before the staff, like, I compare it to, um, like, families, like, that, like, put their kids first, like, always, mm. and then they, like, the, the, like, partners end up having a shitty relationship because yeah. they're only focus on their kids and always putting their kids first yeah and they're not like taking care of their relationship at all um and they think that like that's the best thing to do for the kids but sure. really because of the crappy relationship of the spouses like that pours over into the kids right i feel like that kind of at least from my from what i experienced and saw that kind of happened at the crossing and so it was uh it was very, very taxing on the staff. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, I felt like it was like you were called to be like a youth pastor and a teacher at the yeah. same, like in one. Yeah, because
0: you, and you, for those of you that are that are hearing this and kind of, I understand what he's saying. Um, it's the relationship building. It's the, it's the relationship with the students. And I think that that's the part that you're talking about with the quote, like youth, youth minister part of things like. Um, it's like building those relationships and, and it's the, it's the part that you're, if I can speak for you and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I think that what you're trying to say is that there's so much that's going on in these students' lives that like to neglect and not to focus on those things and only to focus on the education piece, you would be, you'd be like doing these students and these individuals a disservice. And so it wasn't it sounds like you're saying that the um, organization didn't foster a very healthy relationship between the two and which made things difficult for you to feel like you were doing the best that you could for each individual student.
1: Kind of. Yeah. I I think that usually the like uh, administrator or like the head people just kind of thought like all right what's the best for the students instead of i feel like it's, holistically it's usually, looking
0: at both and
1: yeah and i feel like it's usually best like i think if you have a very healthy staff and healthy teachers that are mm. you know, being well taken care of and doing really well like they're just gonna it's gonna be really good for the students yeah and and so um I I just think, I just saw, I personally experienced it and I saw a lot of people burn out really quickly. And I think that's common in education, but especially there, um, I think there's just like a high turnover rate. Yeah.
0: I uh, see that in the special education world too. I mean, it's a, it's another one that's like very much the same thing. Um, You just see high turnover. um, You go through a lot. it's, It's difficult. Yeah.
1: And I don't, I don't want that to overshadow. Like the organization, that organization, from my experience, and what I still hear, I mean, they have done amazing things. Like yeah. there's great, great things going on there, um, and making a huge impact. Where a lot, a lot of these kids, I mean, they would just drop off. They go, which some kids end up doing, but you know, they just go to jail or they yeah. end up dead or. Yeah just never go back to school and so they're the organization is fulfilling a huge need in a bunch of different communities sure. around Indiana and I think that's amazing and I was glad to be a part of that for the time that I was but as I, as I went through it more I just realized uh, this I've changed and I've grown and like it's not the right fit for me anymore. Yeah, and I need to figure out what's next. Yeah.
0: So, where? How did you reach that? You know, you you obviously you came to that crux. Is that the right word? Uh, yeah, it sounded good. Hmm. Sounded good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was right, but it sounded good. Yeah. You came to that like that point where you had to decide what was that ultimate decision, and when did you make that decision, and what did that look like?
1: Yeah, I think when uh, I transferred to Frankfurt, I started just uh, exploring, like, mentally, um, you know, uh, becoming a, like, a licensed teacher. Sure. Because I I wasn't licensed. I didn't have a teaching degree. Right. Um, And I started thinking, like, what would I want to teach if I could? And the only subject I could think of was Spanish. Because I was like, yeah. that's what I care about. That I love yeah. I love that. And that's the only thing I could see myself teaching. And that's what I'd like to do. So I just started checking out transition to teaching programs. I talked with a couple people that had done those. Um, and, uh, yeah, eventually I, I, I chose Indiana Wesleyan mostly because... A lot of the programs you had to have like 25 credit hours in Spanish, mm. and I had like 21, oh. so I would have had to go back and take a, like a college class. Or and I was like, I'm not going to yeah. do that. Yeah, I can't do that right now. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was wild because I would like our school, our school building for the crossing in Frankfurt was right was close to the public school, Frankfurt High School. Yeah. And I got connected with. Uh, the, one of the Spanish teachers there who I eventually, he, you know, he turned into my mentor and then turned into my friend and then I ended up living with him for, in his family for, uh, you know, several months uh, way later down the road. And now, you know, he's one of, one of my good friends. And uh, so anyways, I would go on my lunch break, I would go to Frankfurt high school and meet with him. And he was so, uh, just, like, hospitable and yeah. willing to do whatever. You know, we would sit down and just speak in Spanish, or he would give yeah. me, like, writing prompts. I would write things, and he would uh, review it. And Because I was trying to prepare for... I had to take a, a Spanish content test to, to get my license. Okay. And that, that was pretty tough, so... Yeah.
0: So you got your license?
1: Yeah, I eventually did. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and then... I guess I, I guess I don't know what was next for you
1: yeah well I
0: I guess I'm kind of confused as to what the next stage of your life was. I thought the crossing was where you taught Spanish Oh no no so, uh, I I'm, ended
1: up uh, teaching like one semester of Spanish um, at the crossing um, and so I when I realized like th- this school isn't for me anymore. And there's something else, like I I need to do something different. I want to be like a traditional teacher, have my own classroom, teach Spanish. Um, I decided to leave the crossing. I didn't have anything lined up. And so for a couple months, I just job searched really hard. And um, I eventually, the only job offer that I got, the teaching job offer that I got was at the school, uh, that small town town. It's uh, Rossville, Indiana. So uh, they hired me on an emergency license because I hadn't finished my program. I was still working on my program, okay. my transition teaching program. So uh, they had had a huge turnover. Uh, they basically had like a lot of women that would ha- get pregnant and have babies and leave and have subs in between and <laughs> people leaving and... Uh, so it was kind of a so you rocky became a teacher situation.
0: yeah, so you became a teacher there yep uh how long were you there
1: so i w- I was there for uh four and a half years
0: at Rossville
1: at Rossville yep
0: okay, so not for a year
1: correct yeah I was at I was at, I'm uh, the crossing for <laughs> sorry, I'm confused
0: okay, so that crossing was three and a half years transition to Rossville's- Rossville schools. And you were there for four and a half years.
1: Yeah, I believe that's right. Okay. Yep.
0: Um. All right. Cool. Anything you want to talk to us about? That was four and a half years. I don't.
1: Yeah. Again, like I said, it was a very small town, uh, like a small town culture, rural culture, and that's just very different. I mean, I didn't. I didn't grow up in that. Uh, I just. I mean, probably the most experience I had with that was, like, uh, my dad's from a small town in southwest Michigan. So, like, going there growing up and living in the country in the Dominican Republic. Um, So, it was definitely, like, I was in a total different culture than what I was used to. So, I felt like I had to, like, practice things that I was teaching my students, like, in the place that I was working teaching.
0: Can you give us an example?
1: Like, uh, I mean, it was, it was just like, there was tons of stuff that I just didn't know and didn't understand about small town and like rural culture. Um, and so just like asking questions and, uh, getting to know like what people are all about and what's important to them. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, and it was cool because I was able to connect with kids who didn't fit into that box and, like, came from Lafayette, which was, you know, that's more, like, kind of city-ish uh, culture compared to where I was teaching. Yeah. And be like, hey, I get it. Like, I'm not from here either. You know, like, I this is a different culture than I'm used to. And so I was able to connect with, with some of those kids um, about that which is cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But it was, I really felt like I was like, I mean, a lot of people and kids just thought I was Hispanic. Mm. They thought I was Latino, which I'm not, um, at least like by blood and by like my background. But like, I, I guess I embraced the culture a lot and I love the yeah, culture yeah um, especially
0: with your wife Maria and you know I mean you guys being married and obviously the Latin culture is very much a f- part of who she is and I and I, after spending time with you guys I know how much like hey I just know you Tony and <laughs> um, but like I know how much that you've embraced the Latin culture just in general even before Maria um And I think that, you know, you can see that in your life and your lifestyle and how you raise your daughter and how you guys interact with one another and, um, you know, all those different things. I think that very much, I I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're at Rossville for four and a half years. Sounds like it was almost like reverse culture shock in some ways for you of kind of like learning about a different subculture of the United States that you weren't really familiar with. Um, I'm sure that played a, a part in your decision to leave uh, the schools in, in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, what else? What, what was ultimately, you know, we, I kind of framed it as we're transitions um, in, a, in a sort but what would you say that transition looked like for you at the end of your four and a half years at Rossville?
1: Yeah. I, again, to paint a broad picture, um, yeah. it was a, a very, uh, it was a very good experience. Mm-hmm. I was really, really ever since the beginning, cause they took a chance on me. Yeah. Uh, like, I was very grateful for the opportunity to yeah. teach there, and I, I really loved, I came to love the community, uh, the students there, the staff, and, uh, man, it's small-town America. There's there, there are a lot of amazing things about small-town America. That, there are. Especially if, like, <laughs> people that always live in the cities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and never experienced that, like, I feel like they miss out on that. Like, yeah. And I mean, you grew up in a, what, kind of small town? It's right? about the
0: same size, I would assume. I mean, uh, my graduating class, man, even less than that. <laughs> uh, my graduating class was 120.
1: Yeah, that, that's probably about Rossville. So, yeah, I maybe mean, even actually a little smaller. Something yeah, like
0: that. I mean, 600 or less, um, you know, it was kind of the. The population of my school and so yeah it's it's a 100 percent small town rural indiana is a different experience um pros and cons i mean the simplicity of life like i'm i enjoy the city i like the city um even where dan and i live now in coconut creek it's very suburban and it's gonna take some time for me to get used to that um It's not, it's not maybe my favorite. I've always lived, you know, since I left high school, I've really, um, since I went to school in South Bend, I, I guess it's a city, it's, it's different, but being at Bethel and just around people, it's college is very much, a. it's a city experience, even if you're not in the city in some ways. And I, I mean that by like the busyness of life and you're around people and, You know, when if you live where my mom lives right now, or where my grandparents live right now, like you don't have to see anybody if you don't want to. You know, like you get you you choose to go and see people. Um, You know, I mean, I guess going to the grocery store is different, but you know what I mean. It's just it's just different, and everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody knows what's going on. Um, and then from the like student wise, it's you know everybody. Uh, I mean, I knew I. I know everybody at my school. I don't know them know them. Like I don't I wouldn't call them all friends, but you know a lot about their life that you wouldn't necessarily. It's it's very similar to like small town college like we went to as well. You I, there's so many people at Bethel like I see them, they're like suggested friends on Facebook or whatever it is, and I'm like, "I know them, but like I don't really know them, you know? Like I know a lot about them, and by a lot I mean like I know a lot of the like surface level things about them or the rumors that you heard or you know what you know what I mean, like all those different things. But yeah, it's just a different world to then go to the city and there's a hustle and bustle, there's a buzz amongst the city and um it's just different. So
1: Yeah, it is different. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the best way to put it.
0: Yeah. It's just different than what I would prefer. I guess personally. But I know a lot of people that love it and that's like their jam and and so be it. That's cool too. So I just
1: feel like I, I learned so much there and oh, I yeah. grew so much. I mean, I I went through a lot of different things in life uh yeah. Like during the course of me teaching there mm-hmm. and so I yeah, it was it was very interesting. I remember the last day leaving the school building um, and just really reflecting on, like, that whole time there. I remember the, the first time I showed up at the school and had my first interview uh, and just kind of comparing, like, life then to, yeah. you know, where my life was at when, when I left. So, yeah, it was kind of like a, one of those, like, movie moments where, you know, you are kind of, like, see see your life outside of yourself. Sure. And, um,
0: so what and, was your... What was your reason for leaving
1: yeah i i I think that uh again though i was really appreciative of my experience there i just realized like that specific culture was i didn't want to like teach and live in that culture like long term sure Um, it just wasn't uh it wasn't mean totally and so i think for probably for a couple of years before I actually left, I was wanting to, wanting to leave. I think the the homogeny of the culture, like it's, it's pretty much all white and, uh, just, you know, it's small town. So like some of the kids had never been outside of the state or been outside of, you know, like, uh, Yeah, just that that feel was it it just kind of it kind of wore on me, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because I was teaching a quote unquote foreign language.
0: Yeah, Um, which comes with a lot of cultural differences and experiences and just culture in general. So it's like teaching a cultural studies class on top of teaching how to speak Spanish
1: yeah i felt like there were two things things. whereas like if i was just teaching math i'd just be teaching math Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know um so yeah that that wore on me and and i just i thrive in diversity and diverse climates and so because i felt like there was a big lack of that it just it wore on me and so i was exploring options for you know maybe a couple years before that but I kind of stayed put just because of where I was at in life and it was the best choice. And then, uh, we found out we were pregnant and then, uh, yeah. you know, basically like did some calculations and figured out like, okay, if by the time that, uh, you know, we pay daycare, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to have a tiny bit left of my paycheck, and so, basically, both of us are going to be working full time, and then
0: yeah,
1: you know, I'm going to come home and be exhausted, and then right. like it's just for a Is little that bit that extra little um, bit,
0: yeah, <laughs> makes sense. So, right?
1: Yeah, so we just decided it was going to be the best choice for us financially and just in yeah. general for for our family. Um, so December was when I well, our daughter was born in September. And I wanted yeah. to make sure she was good and healthy. And Yeah. Uh, then after that was when I went to my principal and said, all right, uh, I'm going to finish out this semester and then I'm going to leave after that. And yeah. So since uh, beginning of January, and end of December, I've been full-time dad, staying at home, taking care of my daughter during the day.
0: Yeah. Now you talk about just a complete change and a complete almost flip of um society and in sorts and i know we've talked about it of just some of the struggles that we we have as like you know i i'm not a stay-at-home dad but my wife is the is the money maker in our family and very much supports our family um our small little family of two plus a dog um but yeah she very much like financially supports our family and it's hard that transition's hard and now you throw on top of it staying at home with a newborn daughter and learning to be a father for the first time learning to be um a husband that stays at home and allows your wife to support you going back and kind of going full circle in most of our conversation earlier of being a servant and um saying thank you and and those different components you had quite the transition um, what was that like for you what what I know that's a really open ended question yeah, but it's, question. Uh, um,
1: it was it has been and it was difficult um, I, I mean I had pretty much worked since I was like 15 you know, and especially, like, after college, I a lot of times had two or three jobs, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I,
0: I see it now as my job. Yeah. But I know that's not easy to, I still.
1: Yeah, and it, and it is to take care of my daughter during the day. So that is my full-time job. I don't get paid for it. And, in a traditional sense uh, yeah it's not like a i'm not gonna put it on my resume um, <laughs> but i mean that, maybe that you is could my job yeah and and it is a job but it is way different i mean i was used to leaving the house at 7 a.m driving to work for 30 minutes and then the teacher's schedule is just like boom 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 I yeah know, it's it's like non-stop and you're you know, you're interacting with a hundred plus kids and no. people every day. It's just, it's very exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm at home all day and I'm dealing with one kid. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I do my best to try and get out of the, yeah. the home every day. Um, but so it's and, and yeah, in the beginning I, I had a difficult time. And I still do, but I feel like I'm doing a lot better with it with a number of things. Uh, One, I wasn't making any money for my family, which, yeah, so uh, that was difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I felt like I I started a freelance translation business, language services business.
0: Yeah, um, congratulations. At the
1: beginning of the year. And so in the beginning I had these very lofty goals of with the business and but still taking care of my daughter at the same time, obviously. Yeah. Um, and quickly I learned through like being depressed at the end of the day and like discouraged yeah. <laughs> and not fulfilling a lot of my my goals that like, okay, this I just can't do this unless I want to be exhausted all the time and like miserable. But, I mean, for our financial situation, for our family, it's just not necessary. Like, my wife has a good job, and she makes good money, and, like, we live pretty simply, and so it just wasn't necessary. So that was something, well, that I still have to embrace, but that I had a difficult time with in the beginning. Um, The whole just being a stay-at-home dad or full-time dad like that's that was very like for me as a teacher it was like I took a lot of pride in you know I'm a like someone asks you hey what do you do yeah exactly when you first meet them and it's like I'm a Spanish I'm a high school Spanish teacher and right they, they understand what that means and they can put you in a box oh wow whatever.
0: cool yeah Blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and now you know they ask me, and I'm like, "Well, I'm a stay-at-home dad," and like, there's always a different response with that, and it's just kind of. Uh, I know there's tons of stay-at-home dads across yeah. the world and country, but it's just it not a societal like a norm type of deal. Yeah, and so uh, that like made me do a lot of like, uh, I mean, I realized like insecurities and just with my ego and uh, with like identity. Um, Yeah. So I've had to do a lot of that, like kind of uh, analyzing and soul searching over the last eight months. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm still doing that and I still do that every day, but I feel like I'm in a way better position than I did before. And all that stuff I put on myself, like, my wife did not put on, she was the one who was very gracious and very like, every day would remind me, you are doing an amazing job of taking care of our daughter. Like, that is an amazing thing. You know, like... um, That's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. (laughs) And I just, I couldn't accept that in the beginning. um, Because I felt like, you know, in the beginning I thought, oh, I could... I'm not going to be able to do my business full time and take care care of my daughter full time, but right. I could maybe do 75 percent or maybe 50. And in the begin, quickly I learned that is not going to work out. If I financially, if I had to, had to, I would, I would make it, I would make it happen. Yeah. But we just don't have to, and so thankfully, I mean, I feel really privileged. Yeah. And really thankful that that's where we're at. Um, but it it is. It is just to, it's just total, totally different.
0: Yeah, I know something you know just f- that we talked about when I was there, and, and I know that you can speak to. Just an FYI, we have less than five minutes. Um, but quickly, if we could just talk about, um, I mean, you spoke to it a little bit, but I know I, I've really struggled in some ways of like my value, you know. Yes, I still came home. I I had a job, but I get done at 2.30. So I'm home by 3, and Dana's still working, you know. She's got three and a half more hours. And there were times, and, you know, now I'm unemployed, so I'm unpacking her house and taking care of her dog. But until I have another job, like, I'm at home, I'm still getting a paycheck from the school because of the way I had things set up. But it's just different. And... um. Sometimes I, I just don't feel like I'm contributing or I'm giving as much value to our relationship, um, and I, it, it's just interesting. And I, I mean, I know you you said it. Calvin and I talked about this a little bit too, when, when with the Bethel Boys when we were in South Bend, of how America puts so much value on the job what we do in our work um it's very much a part of who we are especially as men i think in america um there's an extra uh bit that's put on on to us um that's the stereotypical norm is that men provide for the women and all of these things but things are changing and times are changing and um it's not that way and i don't think it needs to be looked at that way and i think it finding those values and equality and women have as much place in the workplace, uh, being at the top and, and working hard and making money like men have in the past. And I think that that's really important, um, for our society to get behind and to understand and to also accept you as a stay at home father. And, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, maybe I already spoke to it, I guess, but I've just really struggled with that. And I think that it's really important for people to maybe just see things through a different perspective or see that there's a different way. Um, it doesn't have to be the way that we've always been taught or the way that we've always known and times are changing and get behind it and support it. And Tony, I think sorry, it'd be really, and, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I, like you said, I feel like, yeah, our society puts so much uh, uh, weight or value in, our jobs, what we do related to jobs. And, and I also feel like, uh, we put a lot of, uh, the value of the job is dependent on how much money the job makes. You know, it's like, Oh, you have a really low paying job. Like, okay, that's, that's okay. But versus like, Oh, you make a hundred thousand dollars. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah.
0: Yep. I agree. I think it would be really cool, Tony, we've got, we're just shy of a minute, but if you want to say a little uh, goodbye, maybe in Spanish, just to kind of speak to that part of you, I, I think that'd be really cool. You want to say a little something to some of our listeners out there that might speak a little Spanish.
1: Oh, Spanish speaking listeners. Okay. Uh, buena... hey, saludos a todos. Uh, gracias por escuchar este podcast. Y, uh, espero que ustedes estén bien. Y um, cuídese mucho. Buenas noches. ¡Qué bueno! That's right.
0: (laughs) Thanks, dude. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, We talked about a lot of different things, and I really value your perspective and your your friendship. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you and uh, kind of speaking a little truth into, I don't know, transitions in, in life. Through a different lens. And a different way of seeing things. You're an amazing human being. You're one of my best friends. I love you so much. And I love you guys out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you listen all the way through. Much love. Peace. Thanks so
1: much.